You're listening to The Ghost of Dog and the Voice of Dog. This is Rob McWolf, your fellow traveler, and tonight's story is the second and final part of Goodbye, New Mexico by Domus Vosis, who spends his free time listening to vaporwave music and celebrating Halloween year-round while reading and writing furry fiction. He also published his debut novel, The Adventures of Peter Gray, in 2018. You can find more of his stories on Patreon, which includes his ongoing furry dystopian series, Maverick Hotel. Bram Heathcliff, paranormal investigator. A role that many would dismiss as unserious. But every society has different names for the roles it requires people to play. In ancient Greece, they might fear him like the Sibyl of Delphi and disbelieve him like the Sibyl of Troy. On the Siberian steppe, they might class him with the Jamans who journey into the world of spirits and return with answers. Last time, Bram and his co-investigator Laurie braved the dust storm to interview some goodbye residents in a bar. But whether he will return from the town of Goodbye, New Mexico with any answers, whether those answers are to be feared or disbelieved, remains to be seen. Please enjoy. Goodbye, New Mexico by Domus Bosis. Part 2 of 2. A $20 bill and 40 minutes later, Jim Barnston and Kent Stiglitz told us about their encounters with the supernatural on the condition that we, A, blur out their faces during editing, and B, we give the former our business cards, while the remaining bargoers sometimes chimed in to add context. For Jim Barnston, the Grizzly had been operating the Eldorado Lounge long after the infamous lost weekend, but he'd given alcohol to those who'd witnessed it themselves. He described the sheer confusion and repressed trauma of those courageous enough, or at the very least drunk enough, to tell him how it felt to lose two whole days of your own life in a single nap. We didn't brave a dust storm just for the lost weekend, though. We came for the ghost stories, which Jim and Kent happily provided, as if they'd told them a hundred times and would gladly do so again. However, of all the stories that stood out, it had to be Kent's. Living this curse the town all your life and you start to notice things. But this one takes a cake, the wolf mentioned, then finished taking another swig of his bottle. Every Halloween, strange things do happen around here. It's not hearing things at night, it's seeing things. What kinds of things, I asked. Things in the dark. Things in your room, in the mirror. Sometimes things moments after you wake up. The thing I saw was eleven or so years back, and the other hardware store in Maple didn't close down yet. I used to be the manager there. I'd wound the store down for the night, and used to do a lot of things at that store back before Pete Davidson decided to pack up for California, the rotten bastard. He grumbled something, then drank the rest of his bottle. Jim happily provided another. Anyway, Kent continued, I'd start walking down the street for home. It's Halloween, but you wouldn't find any trick-or-treaters around here if you tried, so most of us are either asleep or in the bars. So here it is. The street's all empty, and I'm walking down Route 66, and halfway down I start to hear something. Awfully like someone's walking behind me. First I thought it was my imagination, but then I hear breathing. No matter how many times I look behind me, it doesn't stop. 
Whoever's breathing down my neck, it just get louder. Too loud for it to be my mind playing any tired tricks on me. So I run. Till finally, I get to my trailer and lock that son of a gun shut. And I think I'm safe. Until I look out the window. And I see it. What did you see? Lori asked, eyes wide as she leaned in on her seat. I couldn't blame her. I was very captivated myself listening to his tale. Kent glared down at his bottle, then to each of us in the bar. He blinked rapidly, and I'd seen that look a few times, mostly in old documentaries, when someone is remembering something they really don't want to be remembering. They always get that look, like being taken back to that moment is the worst thing that could be done to them. I don't know, Kent uttered in a shaken breath. You looked like a man of my age, but it wasn't. It, well, that's the best way I can call it, but it stood on my porch, looking right into the window, dressed in a blooded leather jacket. Oh, God, his eyes, they were just as red as the blood spatter on him, just as fucking red. And told me, he said to me, this town is cursed and so are you. God, it didn't sound like any speech I'd ever heard in my life, and I don't want to hear it again. Just heavy, guttural, and sopping. And the wailing sounds I heard after shutting the blinds, I couldn't even think to call the sheriff. Just ran into my closet and shut myself up. Didn't dare peek out until I saw Don's ass crack. The wolf guzzled down the bottle in a single swig as Jim explained further. And that's why Kent's made it a yearly tradition to get drunk as fuck in my fine establishment. If I were you two, though, I'd get back to the Desert Star before this storm gets worse. What he just said, Samantha muttered into me and Laurie's earpieces, having listened and recorded our interviews. I think you've got more than enough as is. Roger that command, over and out, I jokingly replied to the concerned squirrel. With a folded ear and a sympathetic smile given to Kent, I informed the drunken wolf. I'm sorry to cut this all short, but our friends at the motel want us back. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Lori shook paws with Jim across the counter, and I did too. And I'm sorry you went through that, Mr. Stiglitz. Kent hiccuped. Don't be. I'm slowly erasing those memories. Memories, you mean, Jim corrected. Whatever, he waved it aside. I think that's enough for you tonight, Ken. Jim rolled his eyes as he handed another patron a gin and tonic. Me and my puma companion finished zipping up our hoodies again, waving to the bartender, so we started to walk out the front entrance. You two take care now, you hear? And send me a link on muzzle scroll. Over howling arid wind, I loudly replied, We shall. Thanks, everyone. Happy Halloween, everyone. Laurie chuckled with a waving paw. Behind us, a few patrons cheered or raised their glasses only for any more voices be lost, like an echo. The dust storm turned everything from puke orange yellow to dark honey brown. Whatever sunlight scraped across the twilight sky started to disappear, 
We pulled our flashlights out to scour the rest of the dying town. Everything had grown darker, to the point I could barely spot the unnatural neon glow of some building signs. They flickered in and out of view, disappearing and reappearing, like the yellow glow of my flashlight. Even Samantha's electronic voice warped incomprehensibly in my earpiece. I only heard Dean say, At back, early seat. Stronger than you... Back now. Did you hear that, Laurie? I hollered, squeezing my gloved fingers around my partner's paw. For once I agree with Dean, we better get going back to the motel. Whether Laurie didn't say anything, or the dust stormed around her reply, the only sign of confirmation came from her squeezing my paw. With a firm nod, I guided us southward across the empty Route 66, doing our best to stand steady. Thankfully, the wind wasn't strong enough to carry either of us away like a hurricane, but one particularly strong gust did cause my paw to slip from Laurie's grasp. Quickly, though, I reached back to snatch it. Almost lost you there, Laurie, I laughed. We gotta keep going. Twenty or thirty seconds too late, it occurred to me. I'd been too focused on stepping over Route 66's uneven pavement, resisting the gale forces and however much sand caked my lower jaw, to notice only one beam of light. When I did, it made me stop. Uh, Laurie? I asked loudly, hunching against the incoming wind. For a split second, I heard her say something. What, what happened to your flashlight? Did it die out? As I turned around, my fingers clenched around empty air. The beautiful mountain lioness I called my friend and co-investigator was nowhere to be found. Not even the beam of her flashlight could be seen as I whirled around, feet fidgeting and heart racing. By instinct or rather to cope, I shakily recited a line from one of my favorite horror films, The Haunting. Whose hand was I holding? Being alone in near-complete darkness and stranger lands wasn't an unfamiliar thing for me. In fact, one could argue it had been a regular experience since my preteen years. Dark shadows, non-visible figures, winds akin to hushed chanting, they didn't scare me compared to what I'd seen in my dreams. Obvious figments of my waking imagination were bullshit compared to what the mind made up when I was asleep. I was not asleep, though. I was in the middle of a dying New Mexican town during a severe dust storm trying to find my way along the road. No bars, no signal, no voice in my earpiece. My feet stumbled along ancient pavements as I tried blocking the sand from getting into my nose and mouth. The entire time I tried peering through my goggles for any sign of refuge. When I did, it appeared down the road, adjacent to the empty highway. An old bus stop shelter. Without much thought, I kicked against the ground and went for my sanctuary. <coughs> A vehicle suddenly sped in front of me. Either a truck or a van, I couldn't tell. The headlights stabbed through the sandy darkness like a spotlight almost too late. Just as fast as it appeared, it sped off down the street. Another foot and I would have been hit. I thought of why a random truck would be speeding down Route 66 during a dust storm didn't hit me yet. Holy shit. Holy shit. I hyperventilated. Get inside. Get inside. This time, I eyed both ways before crossing the street. No phantom cars yet. I sprinted to the structure, almost slamming into a glass pane. Drifted around its corner into the entrance. 
Within seconds of catching my breath, I collapsed onto the interior branch with an audible creak. I didn't even care if it felt as comfortable as it looked. At least it was positioned to shield me from Mother Nature's arid wrath. My thumb peeled the goggles onto my forehead. Setting the flashlight next to me on the bench seat, the light reflected from the glass at the bus stop, detailing each grain of sand sticking to or scraping against the barrier. It produced faint tapping noises. Lori? I called into the radio. Lori? Nothing. My fist connected to the bench, causing pain to jolt up my elbow and me to wince. Ignoring whatever I felt then, I remembered the camera sitting atop my head under the hoodie. An unclear red glow reflected from my palm when I hovered it above my forehead. Samantha, do you copy? I called into my earpiece and toyed with around the station knob on the radio. Dean? Samantha? I'm not sure if you're still looking through my camera, but I'm lost in a bus station somewhere off 66. Lori and I were separated. I don't know where she is. I repeat, Sammy or Dean, do you copy? More garbled electronic noises. Fuck me, fuck me, fuck me, I muttered. I rifled for my phone in my pocket, pulling it out. The bright screen blinded me, but I didn't care, instead sending a text message to Paranormal Hunter Society staff chat. For several minutes, my watering eyes watched the circular icon indicating an en route message continue to spiral, spiral, never turn to the green check mark. Same one I never appreciated until that very moment. All the times to have zero bars. Fuck. I snarled and tried to call Lori's number, followed by Dean's and Samantha's. When the only sounds coming from my phone on the other end were beeps, I went so far as to call my mom and dad. Nothing. Fuck me with a cheese grater. Happy Halloween to me. Until the dust cloud settled, or the GPS app on my smartphone decided to start working again. All I could do was wait. The next hour or so, I tried my best to remain calm and figure out what to do. As I sat there in a bus shelter all alone, sitting as I clutched my phone and flashlight like anchors, my mind wandered. I imagined myself in another plane of existence. I envisioned myself as the last survivor of an apocalyptic sandstorm which covered the entire world, engulfing everything until only desert lingered. By whatever stroke of luck, I happened to be a survivor with the glass and metal box I found being the last sign of civilization. Returning to reality didn't make things feel easier. Thanks to whatever interference caused by the dust storm, I had neither a signal Nora means no Flora was all right. Part of me chided myself for assuming the worst, but it didn't mean I wasn't worried. We knew each other the longest, even before she helped me build PHS from the ground up. Back in high school, in my limited days of college, we confided everything with each other. Helped each other, whether it be relationship problems, wanting to blow off sexual steam due to a stressful week, or simply because we'd both been through the paranormal ringer. From what Lori told me over the years, she used to have the exact same dream as little Puma Cub, growing up in her family home. Happened once a week, almost always in the middle of a school week. Each time she fell asleep, she'd wake up in front of her basement door, walk down the steps for a disproportionate amount of time, until it led her to a large hole made of old brick and mortar. 
she would hear voices coming from it. From there, the nightmare would change differently, like the endings of a choose-your-own-adventure novel. If Lori chose to stand still against the mouth of the pit, she would wake up without any trouble. If she chose to instead climb down inside, she would find herself entering a labyrinth of red brick and unnatural lighting. Wherever the young Puma girl went, a variety of things would happen. Sometimes things from the real world would bleed into her dreams, such as a toy, a new television her father bought. Sometimes a lone figure would stalk her, no matter how fast she sprinted down the caverns, which seemed to never have any dead ends or interconnecting corridors. Sometimes the nightmare ended when she did find a dead end, but other times it continued for what felt like an eternity for Laurie. One nightmare that stuck with her for ages was before we started having sex, about a month before high school graduation. It began with her walking down the endless steps and stepping down into the pit. As always, curiosity won out. Lori jumped into the pit, except she didn't go down any of the four tunnels. Not the one to her left, her right, behind or in front of her. For once, she didn't make a choice after stepping from the staircase. Lori described an uneasy feeling that hit her gut the moment she stood still. Unlike the other times before, when she stood on the ledge waiting for the nightmare to conclude, it lingered. Not only that, but it went places darker and more heinous than expected. Instead of her coming across monsters within the labyrinth, the labyrinth's own monsters came across her. Before she could get into what happened next, Lori broke down in front of me. I never asked for the details afterward. But I did know she immediately moved out of that house, and the instant she turned 18 and made me promise to never bring the topic up with her folks any time I went to visit. As far as I know, the nightmares ended on the first night Lori slept in her apartment. As for me, I grew up with severe sleep paralysis. A chemical imbalance and repressed childhood emotions caused me to lose muscle control before, during, and after REM sleep, as well as hallucinate terrifying imagery during those periods. Encountered top-hatted silhouettes and demonic shadow people invading my personal space every night. Turned into a psychological battle where I needed to remind myself none of it was real. Make a long story short, I discovered two temporary solutions to the episodes, alcohol and sex, both of which caused me to not have any dreams at all. So from high school going into university, I relied on them both to keep me sane when the medication didn't work. Alcoholism, combined with being a hypersexual pansexual jackrabbit, caused me to spiral out of control. Within a few semesters, I went on a self-destructive path that led to me ending a relationship with the man I loved, as well as having a mental breakdown. To make a longer story even shorter, my parents got me help. They supported me, so I no longer used sexual hookups, and had me go to AA meetings to stay sober. And now, I was stuck in a bus shelter in the middle of a rundown town in the edge of New Mexico with no idea where my co-lead investigator happened to be, or any way to get back to the motel. Something tapped loudly against the glass pane, stirring me from my thoughts. Huh? I straightened up. Suddenly it happened again, only it was too hard for it to be sand. Who's there? I gripped my flashlight in the direction it came from. Hello? 
Paranormal investigations required a balance between plausibility and skepticism. As much as I teased Dean for being Mr. Skeptic, I didn't throw irrational thought when figuring out if something happened to be supernatural. If I did, I'd be thinking every perfectly arranged stack of books had some sort of supernatural paw behind it. Instead of someone living who could just do that. That said, maybe it was some large grains of sand that got caught up in the wind. Another loud tap struck the glass pane. Belong to a stray piece of candy, somehow caught by the weather. Hello? I screamed, turning around to find another mammal standing in the entrance of the bus shelter. Shining a light at him, I discovered he was an otter in some kind of jacket. Whoa, hey, he said, startled. He held up both paws defensively. Sorry, I scared you there. Who are you? My dry voice strained with my grip on the flashlight. Again, listing off questions. How did you get through the storm? Are, are you a resident? How did you... Easy there, easy. He chuckled while wiping some sand from his brows and shaking his head for it. I was just passing through here when I found this place. Thought I'd take a break from all this shit, you know? I warily looked the otter over. His jacket did little to hide a strong pair of muscles between the plaid shirt. The square jaw saw a smile. Somehow made my worries disappear. My stiff posture started to relax. Yeah, I guess I do. I shrugged as casually as I could. I'm not local. No, I'm here to catalog some of the spooky stuff going down tonight. But me and my partner, Lori, got separated in the storm. Hopefully it'll end soon. I can go find her. I'm pretty sure she's fine. The storm isn't really that bad. At least compared to the others I've been in. The otter stepped closer. Away from the entrance and sat down next to me on the bench. So is she a girlfriend of yours? No, not really. I shook my snout. What about you? Got a girlfriend out there trying to find you in the desert blizzard? He chuckled. Desert blizzard. I like that. Then I felt a warm paw reach up behind me, caressing my back. An electric spark tickled the base of my wiggling cotton-like tail, with my ears locked with the otter's emeralds. He grinned at me. And I grinned back. A nagging feeling clawed somewhere at the back of my mind, but I ignored it. In favor of a local Adonis suddenly beginning to flirt with me. The more lecherous part of my brain suggested returning the favor. Hey, I happen to have a thing for men with square jaws. No, I don't. He answered my previous question. I'm not into girls. His fingers lowered the base of my tail, pulling me closer. Hmm. I bashfully snickered like a virgin. You, you always flirt with the first stranger you meet in a bus shelter? I always know how to make adorable noises. The otter's tail tapped against the bench's metal frame. Now here I find you, handsome bunny rabbit, all alone out here. Just looking for a good time. Who knows how long we can be out here, really? The thought of correcting him on my species didn't cross my mind. Instead, Lust almost won out. 
I reach my arm to wrap around his flank and freeze. I felt something warm and wet. Liquid too thick to be water. Way too sticky or slick to be sweat. What's more was that I also started to hear voices, too. Outside of the shelter. They were ranged in pitch, but rising high like my heartbeat. And each hair on my arm. The otter's face hardly changed. He didn't blink at the voices. Not when I slowly grabbed the flashlight between us. Down into the blood, coating my fingers. And back at the man. He didn't just wear a regular jacket, it was leather. And all along the back, I found the sharp tears that belonged to a crash victim's body. For a split second, we looked at each other yet again. For a split second, I witnessed his eyes turn a much darker shade of crimson. Flickering between life and death, he smiled down at me. His open mouth held more pointed teeth than any otter should actually have. He whispered, gravelly, sopping voice, You are cursed, and so is this town. My flashlight struck the ground, and I fucking ran back out in the dust storm. Any screams I tried to emit were immediately shut by the airborne dirt I immediately spat back out. Whatever I just tried flirting with didn't come after me, but I still ran. Be it a trick of my adrenaline-spiked mind or an actual, factual specters, I could suddenly see glimpses of shadows between the layered grains of desert stand, standing and staring at me like mannequins. Sometimes they seemed as real as a mirage, but other times they shifted. They stumbled effortlessly against the wind, walking towards me. One eventually knocked me over on my side. I screamed in frightened confusion, till I felt a solid paw grasp my wrist, pulling me back to my feet. A glance down at my paw had me realize the blood was long gone. Holy sh- Bram, it's you! Lori's relieved smile infected mine. Come on, let's get the hell back to Dodge! Yes! I agree at the top of my lungs. Where did you go? This way. Lori held my wrist in a vice grip and I followed her. I don't know where you went earlier, but I've been wandering around trying to find you when I started hearing those voices. I hear you speeding out of a bus stop at top speed, and here we are. Wait, you hear them too? I gripped the front of my hoodie when it almost flew back. I do? She shouted back. Wait, wait, I see the motel. Keep going, Bram. I see it. I cackled another relief. I see it, Laurie. The archway and the motel sign shone through the shrouded darkness. I could make out the no vacancy sign against the wind and dust, but the closer we got to the unlocked entrance, the more I noticed the voices become louder. They transformed into humming chants and wailing cries. In the corner of a teary eye and through the misty goggles, I swore I spotted more of the shadows, but I dared not look back. Laura yanked the front door open and I plunged inside with her. It crashed shut, but the voices hardly ceased outside. If anything, they screeched louder and louder, ringing in our eardrums and drowning out my thoughts. All me and Lori could do was tumble down the corridor and slam our fists on room 16, before I remembered possessing a key. This town is cursed. Nothing provided sanctuary, though. No sooner did me and Lori slam the door shut than we discovered 
Dean and Samantha huddled on the floor. The laptop computer lay abandoned on the bed, showing my feet's perspective. Both Squirrel and Mexican Wolf covered their ears, as did Lori the minute she dropped her hoodie. Make it stop! I barked, grabbing my ears and folding them down once I shed my jacket and tossed the camera to the floor. Fucking God, make it stop! Make it stop! Walls vibrated, and the noise refused to cease, no matter how much we begged. Stomach nauseous and throat feeling queasy, I hunched against one of the empty beds, Lori kneeling beside Samantha, me trying to bury my head into a pillow. The ringing in my ears impacted like nails on a chalkboard, rising and ascending higher and higher until finally, I passed out. Bram. Bram, wake up. Hearing Dean's voice, I jumped up from the floor, feeling like a ton of bricks conked me in the back of the head. No hangover. Compared to kneeling on the floor, feeling hot needles pierce my cranium from every side imaginable. Ow, ow, ow. I winced while rubbing the dried crust from my eyes. What? How are you feeling, Kaneo? Dean asked me, genuine concern etched on his tan muzzle. Whatever happened last night, it knocked us all out for two days. My eyes bulge out and I jerked up to my feet, only to groan when I spotted the quavering grin on Lori's lips. Bitches, that's not funny, I chided when she and Dean started laughing. What the fuck happened last night? Where's Samantha? Already packing up her things in the next room. Lori's smile faltered after gathering herself. In all seriousness, we've been asleep for twelve hours. Last night was... twelve? I cocked my head, groaning as I rubbed it with my palm. You got any aspirin in your bathroom bag, Dean? Lori? I sure as fuck didn't bring any. Ugh. I'll go check. Lori went for the bedroom door. Be right back. The events of the previous night flooded back to me in gradual torrents. So I went to relieve myself in the bathroom and wash back some color into my cheek fur. I heard Dean's voice through the wooden door. He explained how not long before Lori woke me up, minutes ago, Samantha and Dean had risen from unconsciousness. While Dean tried and failed to find Mrs. Block in the motel lobby, Samantha surveyed all the gathered footage. What did she see? I perked my ears up high. Dean, tell me we got actual, factual footage of a ghost tornado. Nothing, he interrupted. I blinked hard, once, twice, and thrice. What did you just say? Nothing, he repeated matter-of-factly. We got fucking nothing besides the interviews. Huh? I gripped the porcelain sink as I glared at my bloodshot eyes in the mirror. And I turned to look at the door. I'm sorry, but how the unliving fuck did we get nothing? Files were corrupted somehow, Bram. The audio got fucked somehow, and Samantha's trying to recover it, but for now, it's all jack shit. He snarled angrily. Not at me, but our luck. I try not to believe in supernatural shit too often, but last night, that wild hunt, it felt too real to be anything else. And now we've got no shred of evidence that it happened. 
My optimism began to fade until a thought came to mind. What about Mrs. Block? We can't find her, he repeated. She's not at the desk and won't answer my calls. Shit, my voice cracked. Minutes later, I emerged from the bathroom and packed my suitcase. Lori returned with two tablets, and she handed some to Dean as well. We both thanked her immensely. Samantha came out of the other motel room, handing me some of their electrical equipment. Together, we grabbed our luggage. For the moment, all any of us wanted to do was get out. The second Samantha got the remaining B-roll footage she needed of other neighborhoods and goodbye, we would speed off onto the closest exit, connecting us to the I-40 highway. The Desert Star parking lot and what we could see of goodbye had hardly changed since the night before. Granted, almost an inch of sand covered everything in sight, but otherwise nothing appeared out of the ordinary. Goodbye stayed the mysterious, rundown center of supernatural phenomena. Dean volunteered to drive the PHS van. I buckled up in the front passenger seat while Samantha quietly held her video recorder in the back seat. Lori sat beside her. While pulling out of the parking lot, I could have sworn a middle-aged fox appeared from the door. Rather than speaking up, pointing out her presence, and asking Dean to turn around so we could confirm she heard the voices from last night, too, I looked away. I stared straight ahead as the Mexican wolf at the wheel steered us onto Route 66, towards a row of buildings Samantha wanted to shoot from her window. Last night, when I got lost during the dust storm, I spoke up. I think I flirted with the demon. Everyone sat in deathly silence. Then Laurie laughed. Only you, Bram. Dean tried and failed to suppress his disbelieving chuckles. Yeah, only you. Samantha herself couldn't repress a few giggles. Only you. Rolling my eyes, I relaxed back to my car seat. My ears rested against the headboard. And sighing deeply, I watched swirls of dust dance in front of the slow-moving van and made a decision. We are so coming back to this town again, you guys. This was the second and final part of Goodbye New Mexico by Domus Vosis, read for you by Rob McWolf, Werewolf Hitchhiker. As always, you can find more stories on the web at thevoice.dog, or find the show wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to The Ghost of Dog.